0: If you look around in in the world and in nature, you see, it's like a way of seeing time differently and seeing things that were before you and will be there after you. And I think that that is very calming. And that also comes back to like, you know, if I fail or if we fail and whatever our day-to-day is or whatever we're doing, if I fail, like there's still these things around me that will like continue to be and like have been before and started to do the thing that I want to do
1: this is the empowered spirituality podcast the podcast about inclusive spirituality empowered spirituality is all about connecting and aligning to your own higher self all religions, spiritual practices and beliefs, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions are welcomed and celebrated here. I am your host, Samantha Nagel, owner of and coach at Empowered Spirituality, LLC. Every Wednesday, I will share a guided meditation practice, and every Thursday, I will share inspirational teachings or interviews with people with different spiritual practices, beliefs, and opinions. Come every week with an open mind, taking what you like and leaving the rest. Welcome to Empowered Spirituality.
2: this episode is sponsored by the women of color summit the women of color summit is an equitable community organization focused on creating safe and inclusionary spaces for women and non-binary people of color to share stories and knowledge as well as to make impactful change currently the women of color summit has enrollment open for their 12-week group program deepening your spiritual practices in community This is a container for folks looking to deepen their spiritual practice in a mindful, loving community. This will be a brave space for transformational self-care where you'll be seen and supported. They'll be exploring this connection to source and to community by using specific tools like meditation, ancestral work, breath work, lunar magic, tarot, and asana. There's going to be amazing guest facilitators, healers, mentors to continue to build this community and space. If you're interested in applying for this winter cohort to begin in mid-November, feel free to go to the womanofcolorsummit.com to apply for the waitlist. You can also find the link in the Woman of Color Summit Instagram and you can apply there as well.
1: Today is a very special episode of Empowered Spirituality because I'm joined with my very best and most beautiful and most smartest and most amazing best friend, Lozen She-Her, who is from the Gila Valley in southwestern New Mexico. As a recent environmental policy grad, she loves to learn about how people are working with natural resources to combat climate change. Welcome Lozen, it's so nice to have you.
0: Thank you. I feel so fortunate to be here and have this experience with you. So I'm really looking forward to it.
1: I am too. And it helps that you're one of my most favorite people. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> The opinions that I'm about to share are my own only and do not represent my employer.
1: <laughs> Yay. Um, so kind of a new thing that we've been doing is setting our intention together before the episode. So I'm wondering what your intention is for this episode.
0: So my intention is to um, really share kind of some of my knowledge from our hometown, which I think is really special, um, and, you know, connect with you in this way and talk about some really important issues with climate um, and hear what you have to say and kind of try to spark some hope and action um, in ourselves.
1: I love that. Thank you so much. And it is really special to talk about our roots and then see what you're doing. Uh, My intention is to, of course, connect with my best friend. uh, But it's also really special to connect with my best friend as like a professional intelligent person, and I don't think of you that way otherwise, but uh, it's like cool to see you in a new light and to get to learn alongside of you. Uh, And you're going to bring up some topics that I think are really special and really important. And I love that you're going to highlight hope. Uh, And I think I'll learn a lot from that. So I'd like to just highlight you and take in you and, and spread information. Awesome. Um, So I'll start with climate change. Uh, You're working right now, or you like to know about how people are working with natural resources to combat climate change. So I just thought we could start with what is climate change?
0: Yeah, so climate change, and I'll use kind of a story. um, The 1760s uh, marked the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which is when people started to use machines um, to do things and it made farming much more efficient which then made famine less prevalent and there was a huge population boom um, for example in europe the population like tripled between 1750 and 1850 which is crazy um, and then that was also the time period that we started burning fossil fuels like gas oil coal um, and as you know we're still doing that today and so these emissions um, kind of get trapped in the earth's atmosphere and they keep in the heat from the sun. And this is called the greenhouse gas effect. And it's like a greenhouse because the, um, these gases act like the glass in a greenhouse, like really trapping in all of that heat. And so anthropogenic climate change explains a lot of the events that we're seeing right now with the huge wildfires in California and Canada, um, the recent hurricane, you know, in Louisiana and Orleans, um, the flooding in New York. So that's where we are right now. And then I really wanted to highlight I think it's really important when we talk about these emissions um, that 100 companies are responsible for 71% of the global emissions that we see. So it's not really like an individual thing, it's that there are a few kind of key companies that are really responsible for, for what we're seeing um and then there's some figures that have been really important with climate change we really wanted to stay at 1.5 degrees celsius with warming um and unfortunately we're on track right now um for three degrees celsius warming so Uh double that which is really crazy um and at 1.5 you know a bunch of countries got together and we're like we're gonna get like we're gonna just stay there and like we're gonna try to keep warming down. Um, and then Trump pulled us out of that agreement. We're now back in it, but like yeah. I said, we're in this three degree figure again. Um, and so the way that that plays out just to illustrate, you know, it doesn't seem like the 1.5 to three is like huge, but um, that figure, so at 1.5, we would expect to see um, 4% of mammals lose at least half of their habitat. But with three, we would expect to see 41% of mammals.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so it's like a huge, um, a huge range there. And then our drought period with 1.5 would be two-month average drought. But with three, it would be a 10-month average drought. So those are some like really, really big differences. And it's super unfortunate that we're right now on track um, for that three degrees Celsius. Um, warming wow. and then in New Mexico we're in the sixth fastest warming state in the nation which is crazy where it's expected to get a lot higher and I mean a lot hotter and a lot drier um, with precip decreasing substantially which as you know is crazy because Mexico is already very dry um, right that's climate change and where we're at right now
1: wow and wow I love that you said that it's not an individual thing too because I feel like maybe that's a tactic that comes partly from these big companies to like put it back on people for driving their cars to work (laughs) to like make you feel guilty uh whereas i think i read and i don't know the numbers at all but i read that like driving your car to work doesn't really do much or like walking to work doesn't change much
0: yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, that whole carbon footprint. I remember in like middle school, you would calculate it, you know, it's like, how often do you fly? Like how much do you drive? And that was a marketing campaign from big oil. Like it was just to deter from the fact that like big oil is responsible for this. So exactly like you're saying, um, it's really distracting. And it, I think it, as we talk about hope is a little bit harder when we've been fed this narrative that like, oh, if you do these things like you can combat climate change, Um, but what we're seeing is it's really not an individual it's like a whole system and it's mainly companies Um, and and so as we think about hope like what does it mean if we don't actually have the autonomy as an individual to do these little things that we're told that we can do to make this big big difference
1: wow yeah absolutely and i think you're so right that when
0: we have hope
1: it's because we feel like there's something we can do or that there's something that can be easily changed. Um, So gosh, how is that something that either you have hope with or that you help other people have hope with when it does look so grim and so bad?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's super depressing kind of just seeing where we're at right now. Um, So I think that that's such an important question and you know, the same report that was like, we're on track for this three degree or three degree Celsius um, warming was also like, we need to um, like increase our effort by five fold if we wanna get to 1.5. So it just is like, we need to be hopeful because we need action. Um, and then how I've like kind of had hope in my personal life really has been, you know, we're from this like little rural community Um, That works so well with natural resources and has like such a rich natural resource at its fingertips, with um, you know, the national forest, the river. So, I've gotten a ton of hope just from the community that we're from, and from like learning from people in my community who've been around for longer and have like um, traditions of farming and working with resources has been like really, really great to learn about um, and has given, given me hope to just, um, yeah, just see what people are doing and like how they're making a positive impact and like producing food for themselves. um, is really great.
1: Yeah, Um, there was an episode when this airs, it'll be about a month ago, maybe. Um, it was with Bex Malie, and she talked about, and this is a different subject, but she talked about not affirmation, or sorry, affirmation-based activism versus like, this is where the problem is, like poor people, they're suffering because of this. Um, And so it sounds like we have to hold these companies uh, accountable in whatever ways that that looks like, and be very aware of what's happening and aware of the issues, uh, but it sounds like something that gives you hope is changing your perspective and looking at what people are doing. And it sounds like you've been really inspired by your work with those people.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so beautiful too, like the affirmations too, of really like fostering more positive things instead of like trying to reduce negative things. And not that we shouldn't be reducing negative, but it's like really spending energy and being like what's working here like how can we do more of what's working instead of spending so much energy being like this is bad and this like at least in our individual lives of like I can't like drive my car this place like maybe it just is more productive to be like what can I do that is working and also to be cognizant of course of like these are things that aren't good and like you know overall really holding companies accountable um But just like being positive with it, it like allows it to be more sustainable emotionally over time. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Um, And you mentioned in your bio too that you like to learn about people working with natural resources. And you just kind of mentioned that you saw how people are working with natural resources. So I'm curious what that looked like for you.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, it just is a huge, I I know I already said this, but just as a huge, um, like, source of hope for me to really see what people are or how people are managing natural resources successfully. It just is like, so amazing. Um, and I've been reading this book, Brick Grass, which I highly recommend. It's so good. Um, and one of the things she's talking about kind of in the intro is like, like, why do we not have ideas of ourselves as like being positive with the environment? Like, why do we kind of conceptualize ourselves as separate from the environment? And like, And like, how can we really see ourselves as like, being good for it. Um, And so my personal example from my research is that in New Mexico we have acequias and they're these like um, dug out ditches from a main river channel or stream and they're typically unlined and they date back in New Mexico um, in 1598. So they're really old here um, and they So, they, yeah, the ditch comes out of the main river channel, and then it has all these kind of laterals, and then those irrigate fields, um, and then through, if it's unlined, a lot of water seeps through the ditch channel and then also on the field, so it supports native vegetation that grows along these side channels, um, and then the main ditch channel, which then is habitat for species, like those are that are threatened and endangered, um, and then also contributes to groundwater recharge, which is really important for like domestic wells and stuff nearby. Um, and it these aquifers really just like hold water, which is really important. Um, so they have like a bunch of really incredible benefits that they can offer um, if they're if they're managed well. And some like there are some concerns about you know if agriculture is super chemical intensive, then it's kind of Um, poisoning the water or um, that putting in these ditches can like disrupt habitat if it's done certain ways so there are some concerns but there are also all of these like really positive things that have been used in the state for hundreds of years Um, so I thought that that was really really cool and it was just like a really good example and it was in my backyard like my whole life growing up and I like I remember like You know, the ditches are like crazy, and you can see how they like expand riparian attack because they're like pulling water away from the main river channel. Um, And you're just like driving through, and you can like see the like fields, and you can see everyone's irrigation, and it just was like right there, and it was just so cool to continue to learn about them, and then to learn about how much they mean to people was really incredible as Mm -hmm. well.
1: What do you mean by that? That they mean a lot to people.
0: Yeah. So through you know talking with different people they have these connections with the ditch because they're like family members a long time ago, like dug out the ditch or, you know, they have memories playing in the ditch as a kid, or they're just, just like all of this kind of remembrance of the environment through these um, ditches really that have like held people together and and have also like served not only the community and, and like, given value to people, but also to the environment
1: mm. um, and you you like to work with communities and how that impacts climate um, what did this experience with community and the Asekias teach you about community and, and kind of what we should learn from them
0: yes so on the like like research side communities tend to be more um responsive to climate change than of centralized governments and the reason for that is like if you are seeing something and like working with a ditch every day you're going to notice that it's a drought and like what it needs sooner than like you know a government however many miles away is going to realize um so that i think is super critical just that communities tend to be more responsive to these things and then or to by these things i mean like to climate changes um and that climate or certain climate things like drought, for example, um, creates a need for community organization. So when there's a lack of a resource, people really need to come together to think, you know, we only have this much water. How can we share this so that like Mm -hmm. I can grow my alpha alpha and you can grow your like corn or whatever, like so that we as a community can continue to do what we're doing. Um, And I think that that's really cool because it's like it's really the nexus between resource, and then governance, you know, what kind of governance system is born out of a certain natural resource condition, if that makes
2: sense. That absolutely
1: makes sense, and that is so interesting, and I love that you got to see that firsthand.
0: Yeah, it was really, it was really special. I feel very fortunate.
1: Yeah, that's amazing, Um, and then You mentioned something a bit before we got into the Sakyas as well, Um, and from the book that you're reading, and I didn't catch the name, but the author is saying, why do we feel that we're separate from the environment? I was wondering if you could speak more on what that
0: means to you. Yeah, so, and I have to admit, I haven't finished the book yet, I'm still reading it, Um, (laughs) but I think a lot of our narrative, you know, speaking personally, has just been even when we talk about natural resource management, it's very kind of like top down with like, people are one thing and the environment is something to be managed. And when we think mm-hmm. of that now, when we also have all these negative conceptions, like people are only bad for the environment. I think that that just doesn't create conditions for success um, versus yeah. if we're like, yeah, like we are part of the environment, you know, asechias have been called um, like an example of when a human is a keystone species, Yeah, so a species on which other species in an ecosystem largely depend, Um, so, you know, in the acequia, like, that's awesome, like, that people are really, like, creating something that all other species depend on. So those kind of interactions are just, um, yeah, amazing.
1: Um, And something I heard you say a couple of times is the narrative that we hold around things. So the narrative that we have about hope and climate change and the narrative we have about communities and the narrative we have about our role uh being bad or good um is something is that something that's maybe a common thread in in dealing with the environment and climate change as the our narrative around it
0: yeah i think definitely i mean i think that the way that we see or understand our situation in something really just feeds the way we view our options in it you know, if you can only see yourself as being something that like dominates nature or like has Mm -hmm. a negative impact on nature, how are you going to view your options? Um, So it's like, if I only think that I'm like going to do bad things to the environment, how motivated am I going to be to like try and do something good? Um, yeah, I'm not trying to be like too naive with the hopefulness because I really think things are like bad with the the IPCC report and stuff. Um, but I yeah. think that the that the stories we tell ourselves are super important to just the way that we um, the way that we view our own autonomy or, or the way that we view our own ability to make decisions or the decisions that we even rec- like are able to see that we have.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful. And I feel like something that comes up on this show a lot is the idea of duality. And that I feel like that's kind of what you're saying is that we need to acknowledge that things are really bad um, and that they could be really bad, maybe even worse. Um, but then also to only live over there is not doing any service. And we also need to hold the space for we can do good things. We can help. There are things that are working and people that are trying to help. Um, but if we live over here, like you said, it would be too naive. And so it sounds like kind of the mental gymnastics of looking at climate change and our own effect into it is to hold both of those in equal spaces and be able to go back and forth between the two.
0: Right. Exactly. You know, and be be realistic, but also enough energy to do something. Um, and I think that's the thing. It's like we can look at this and be like, this is horrible. Like I'm just gonna be passive because I'm so overwhelmed by how bad it is. And like that's legitimate, but is that really what we want to do? Because there's no like um there's no amount of good work that's gonna be like wasted, you know? Like we're gonna hurt to try to do the right thing. Um
1: beautiful. That's beautiful. And I feel like that's true with any issue that you look at too, whether it's climate change and the environment, women's rights, any kind of rights issue, like any kind of quote unquote political issue you look at, of course, just your actions are not gonna change the outcome. But if you think that way, they're definitely not gonna change the outcome.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where narrative comes in you know, like, um, you have to think that you can do something. And then even if it doesn't work, like, at least you tried or like, you pushed it at least partially in the right direction. And like, you know, what was lost versus if you just kind of lay back, and you're like, Yep, it sucks. It's going to continue to suck. Um, So we need to just tell ourselves like, and I think I think that's why, you know, working this community was so great. I was like, this is like, this is amazing. Like, this is something positive. Um, and so I would encourage people to just kind of try wherever your community is, um, to like, see what your strengths are, especially if you're from a rural place. Like, I think that there are so many great things happening in rural communities, um, and just seeing what's unique about that, um, and what resourcefulness is there, and then trying to be supportive how you can, or integrate that into your, into your life as much as you can, um, I think is a really good place to kind of of start
1: to find some some inspiration. That's beautiful. Um, What I'm going to say sounds unrelated but I promise it's not. (laughs) It's going to come back. Um, Sahara Rose uh, is like an author and a podcaster and she posted an episode about like feeling really overwhelmed. It was when uh, we started finding out about what was going on in Afghanistan Um, and so she released this saying like Of course, you feel overwhelmed. Um, And she also made a good, this is maybe a tangent, but she made a good point that said, um, our nervous system wasn't meant to handle bad news after bad news after bad news in so many communities. And if you want to help in other places, that's okay and that's needed and that's beautiful. Um, But if you're not sure what to do, you can start in your own community. And she was mentioning, we know about all these bad things and we're overwhelmed by them, but we don't know our neighbors or we don't know what's going on in local politics or local government. Um, And I love that you said like a great way to start is to just look at your community. Um, And if you're not in a community of like farmers per se, how would someone maybe in a more like urban setting uh, turn to their community to do this work?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know that there's like community gardens and stuff too, and I like just moved to a city. So I'm kind of like getting my bearing too on what that looks like. Um, But I just think like who is putting attention on climate issues or like issues that matter to you? Like, where is that happening? And like getting online too or um I know there's like a lot of circles there's this other book that I'm going to recommend it's just called all we can save and it's a collection of short stories um and the like authors have gotten together to like create this like reading like book circle um which I haven't done yet but I was just when I was like getting ready for this podcast I was like oh my god that's so cool but just um like trying to find pockets of just like people who have similar interests Um, and I know that's kind of harder because it's not like you're not like driving through this like vast open space and like pointing to like that's a national forest like how could I get involved there like that's a farmer like what are they doing like what are their practices Um, but I think just like pockets of people who have shared interests with you because I think that that's also really what it's about is like what are you interested in like what are you attracted to And how can you, because I think that's where energy and hope comes from is like something that you love. So it's like, how can you connect things that you love to climate um, so that you have the stamina to like be doing something, even if it's, you know, it might not be farming, might be like super far off. But I also think that each community has really like localized and like specific needs and strengths. And I think that that's something that can get a little bit lost when we talk about climate change, especially in the policy sphere. Um, about like you know when we want to set standards for things it's so across the board that it loses a lot of the particulars um and so mm-hmm. I think like it just, just so important to be aware of like what are the particulars of this group of people that I'm working with or like you know this this cit- city that I'm working with like it has a potential for um hydropower and like that's really cool and like um Yeah, knowing what the specific needs and strengths of your specific community are, even if that's a city or if it's not a city, I think that that is super important. And I think also the fact that environmentalism really intersects with like you know act like health and like who has access to drinking water that's safe right now, who has like who is disproportionately to contaminants, and with COVID that really has been highlighted so much. Um, But I think knowing that in your in your space as well and being like you know, this is what my community needs in this way. Um, And this is how I can serve that. And there's something also, I know I'm like going on called NIMBY, which means not backyard, um, which I'm sure you're aware of, but it's like um, the idea that people like, you know, an affluent community will be like, oh, this like polluting company isn't coming into my, like my community, like we're not gonna have that here. So then it goes somewhere else. So I think it's really important to also not be doing that. Like, like it can't be like, oh, I'm only gonna protect like the people who are like me. But instead, I'm saying like, find people who have interests that are similar to yours. Um, but don't like, don't just like passively like be like, oh, it can go to somebody else's. So be really cognizant of like what large scale systems are happening as well, and like how they play out in the specific needs of your of your space.
1: Mm, That's a good, yes, that's a good point to bring up because I wouldn't have thought that, but it could have not been interpreted that way, but maybe like taken action in that form. So I'm glad you clarified. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Gosh, you said something so, I mean, you said a lot of profound things, which is why I can't remember the one that I wanted to comment on. Oh, um, it sounds like this is really healing um, to focus. It sounds like to focus on the community is to focus on your perspective and to focus on your perspective helps your actions and that those actions are going to help you, but they're also going to help your community. And then with the most recent example you just used, if you're helping your community in like a very empathetic and open-minded way, you're also helping other communities. And so it It sounds like this is just a lot of healing on the personal, social, and environmental level if if you approach it this way, which I think is really interesting.
0: I feel like I feel like I'm rambling and then as soon as you re-ask a question like reformulate what I say it's like I'm like oh that's beautiful <laughs> I'm like oh, thank you <laughs> but I'm like that is what I was kind of trying. like that's what I was trying to get at um, that's but yeah I, I've definitely never felt so kind of like grounded in self um, and I think that one of the things too is that we're already failing with climate like we're at the worst case scenario we're already doing like a bad job so when we think about kind of doing work here it's like I might make mistakes I'll see recommendations for my thesis might have not been helpful but to have effort and energy and like trying um is what I can give and so I think that that working in a space of being like I'm gonna keep doing this and it's gonna be vulnerable and hard and I might f- like fail and it might be embarrassing <laughs> um it really I think is also a source of grounding because it feels very honest you know like i'm here and i'm gonna keep doing this and like learning um and i'm with other people and like also this kind of like with the asekias these generations of traditions um to kind of see you know over time how things changed and like in this tangible space i think the environment also is super it just teaches us so much, even if it just is like, you know, at home we have the river and it just is so still and like, it's not dammed. So it like rebraids. And so you'll see it one place one year and then a different place from year. Um, But there's so much kind of learning in that as well. And just being outside um, and like seeing things change and like kind of a lot of releasing um, and like not getting too, you know, the river is not going to be this way next year and I think that that's also what we're seeing on a bigger scale like the climate that we've known we're not going to continue to see and that's like super uncomfortable and super scary um and it's something that we're going to have to learn to navigate and so I think that we're also going to have to navigate that as like a collective because we know that these these storm surges are really disproportionately impacting um already like underserved populations and so I think that as we like try to build community um, with each other in this like really scary transitory space, there's a lot of kind of healing um, with that as well. And that environmental issues are also so connected to so many other um, like human health issues too. So it's like healing on multiple scales because a lot of the issues really intersect with environment. that makes
1: sense. Oh, absolutely. It makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um. Are you ready to dive deep into your desires, your thoughts, and your fears? Do you want to heal the body while also healing the mind? Are you tired of being seen as symptoms rather than a whole person? If this sounds like you, join me in holistic health coaching. I use a blend of the seen and the unseen, the scientific and the spiritual, the practical with the mystical to help you find healing. Through my work, I blend my practical knowledge and experience in mental health and addiction counseling, assessments, and health coaching with spirituality, ritual, embodiment, and going within. I am not a healer, but rather I am the catalyst that will help you ground and access your innate wisdom as we embark on your healing journey together. A coaching session with me may incorporate embodiment techniques, guided meditation, listening and learning from each other, meeting inner archetypes, assessing attachment styles, utilizing mindfulness, assessing health and lifestyle, incorporating mental health tools, and much more. Go to empoweredspirituality.online to claim your free consultation today. I, I like that you said it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, and I feel like the very human and normal thing to do when we feel uncomfortable is to like push that away and like run from it as like, and right now we've always done that, but right now we have a lot of things to escape with, like our phones and social media and television. Um, so I feel like it's, I really like that you said that because I think it's really important that, especially if you're listening to this right now and you feel uncomfortable, that that's okay. And that it's okay to sit with that uncomfort and to just let it be with you for even a couple minutes. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's also like new territory. One, that we just have so much access to information about so many things. Like, you know, I wouldn't have known about the fires in California if I didn't have a phone and like access like it just wouldn't have been in my sphere at all um and I think this whole like really the end of like the world uh, not too dramatic but like just climate change is such a new kind of existential threat that it's super overwhelming on our psyches of like have we ever had to deal with a big of a, a thing before
1: yeah, no. <laughs> um, and actually on that note, I wanted to ask you, I know that a lot of we kind of talked about like the labor around this internally is like going back and forth between the perspectives and weaving back and forth, but how do you take care of yourself? Because not like it's overwhelming for me to hear and I'm not working in the field like you are. So how or I'm not writing a thesis on it. Um so how are you taking care of yourself while also knowing like really grim things or like how do you take a step back from it maybe I don't know
0: yeah I think that really it just and I know I keep coming back to this but I really just think learning about the things that people are doing positively like learning about you know these people have like I was listening to this podcast the other day Um, it's called um, how to save a planet um with Dr. Iana Elizabeth Taylor and I'm being horrible but I can't remember her co-host name um but they were talking about these like um no-till um agricultural practices and that farmers were seeing like a bunch of like growth by like putting carbon basically back into the soil um and we're making like the soil a lot richer and like seeing a bunch of benefits to crops and stuff so I think just like as we think about like all of this scary stuff also just again like just trying to pivot and trying to just add more attention to the positive things and like the concrete things that people are doing to see positive change um and I think the closer to home that is like for me with my thesis the kind of more impactful it can be um at least for me it was like being like oh my god like this thing that i kind of took for granted my whole life this just like ditch in the backyard that i was like okay <laughs> you know it has so much meaning and so much value um so i think mm-hmm. that if we can turn to those and be like there are these kind of like hidden nooks and crannies of things that are super positive what are they and how can i turn my like um I don't know, tiredness and like anxiousness and restlessness of climate into like curiosity for finding what these little pockets are and like, you know, creativity for seeing what we can do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, And I'm sorry for making you repeat yourself too.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. I just don't wanna be a broken broken record for you.
1: Oh, you're a beautiful record. And you kind of touched on this and it's pivoting a little bit, but maybe not too much. Um, and this is actually a term I learned from you, maybe like three or four years ago, um, and you mentioned it kind of in passing and I thought it was really interesting then you brought it up again when we were prepping for this and that's the term of ecofeminism. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit.
0: Yes, I would be happy to. Yeah, so um, <laughs> ecofeminism is basically just that as we understand um, environmental issues better, we understand the situation of women better. And when I was prepping for this, I was like, what would be like a cool example um, in New Mexico based? And so um, with, there was uranium mining a lot in New Mexico um, with the nuclear industry. And this was mainly done by um, indigenous communities. And you know, uranium mining has like horrible health impact, effects that people are still feeling and like suffering today Um, but what they used to, for research to see what the like safe standard of uranium was for people was reference man and reference man was, I need to look at, yeah, he was, um, between 20 and 30 years old. He was a man about 150 pounds, um, five, seven, and he was white and Western European. And so when they used the standard of like, you know, how much of this can somebody's body withhold before it sees negative effects they use somebody Mm -hmm. who didn't look at all like women um and so more recent studies have found that women are actually twice as likely to develop tumors as a consequence of radiation from uranium um so that is like a good example of ecofeminism like what what are the discrepancies between what research was focusing on in a um chemical exposure versus like the actual impacts that it would have and like who was left out of these and why. That is so
1: interesting. How did you come across
0: that? Um, I had taken a class actually at UNM on nuclear stuff in New Mexico. And this had been something that we could t- we talked about, um, but I couldn't remember the exact, like what was going on. I just remembered reference man. and I Know that that was horrible. <laughs> I was like, I know women were excluded from that, but I don't remember kind of what he was. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, that is incredible. Um, And I know that it's not the same thing, but the story of the BMI is pretty similar too, where they use like this very slender, like European white man (laughs) to like dictate how all people should weigh and look. And it's just ridiculous. And like you said, this person was a relatively tall man, uh, heavier, maybe man, like mid-sized man. Uh, So of course, like maybe someone who's naturally more petite and smaller. Cannot handle the same amount. uh, I think that's just like incredible in a bad way. Like it's, it. I feel like astounded that that's something that happened.
0: Right, or has a uterus, or like you know, it's just just like these are not even the same, like at all.
1: Absolutely, similar to what you said. um, I was thinking about how we treat the environment as if we can always take and take and take and take and expect it to still um, give back to us for some reason and still take care of us and still bring life to us. Uh, And when you mentioned uteruses, I thought about the way that we treat people with uteruses and we can harm them and do unspeakable things to them, but yet yeah, we still expect them to produce and nurture and take care of us and give us more life. And I think that's a lot of what has been happening to the environment as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's definitely something, you know, people are people are talking about in the field is like, you know, we always talk about like mother earth. um, And then like you're saying these ideas that it's like, we can just extract and extract and extract. like. And do horrible things um, to this feminine entity. I think that that also goes back to what we were saying earlier about narratives. You know, it's like, is that acceptable because we have attached a gender narrative to something and that we also have all of these like (laughs) negative and abusive connotations to how we can treat women? So is it like it's the same narrative of like, you know, these two things are equal and they then deserve this type of treatment? because of that um and so how do we shift that
2: wow
1: i feel blown away (laughs) by what you just said Um, wow yeah is that something that uh you work with or think about or is that something that you're kind of posing to just go out with the people
0: yeah i'm just kind of posing it, um because i really don't know the answer of like how do we you know how do we take that away and i don't think it's like oh we should de-gender the earth because we treat women too badly it's like why don't we not treat women badly either (laughs) like it's not (laughs) but i think it's also this this whole thing that it just is like you know capitalism has been really bad for the environment it's been really bad for a lot of people it's kind of these bigger, overarching systems that are not working on multiple levels. And so I guess part of the answer is like, we need to restructure a lot of the way that we do things.
2: Wow.
1: Yeah, you're so right. And I think capitalism is just one of the great examples of how we see like the root cause and then we see all of these symptoms and we see symptoms in mental health, in poverty, in physical health and the environmental health. Like the the symptoms of these like really big bad thing that's happening is, is seen in all these things that we can see, which I know is like I said that in a really weird way, but I'm really glad that you brought that up.
0: And that we seem like, it just seems like we're trying to just take away the symptoms. Like, we're just so attached to these underlying systems. And so, like, you know, it almost makes me think of that whole, like, girl boss thing about, like, we just need to, like, expand the circle of people who can, like, you know, oppress other people and use their labor for their own advantage and, like, get paid more than they should. And, like, instead of just being like i don't know maybe we shouldn't have any system where like somebody a ceo makes like hundreds of times what their lowest employer makes it just is like they were so attached um to these these systems that create winners and losers mm. yeah
2: that's
1: so true and i feel like um this is like a much smaller scale, but um, in my own life, when I judge others, it's because I feel good that someone else is like worse at something that I'm bad at. Um, And I feel like we do this with being attached to these symptoms or systems, Uh, like at the very highest level, we can see like people like CEOs, for example, Jeff Bezos or someone, um, and think like, I don't, I'm not like that because I'm not in that position, but it's like a tier system almost that I can enact that same like hierarchy and that same uh, disregard for other people's needs on my scale. And other people can do that on a higher or lower scale. Um, And I feel like that goes, a lot of this is, um, it feels, (laughs) this is so uh, rambled, but it seems like a lot of our shadows our shadows that like are deeply rooted into our society. And so I know this like might not happen in the very near future, but if we were to all work out like these shadow sides of ourselves, I wonder if these issues would just kind of naturally resolve themselves, which is like, I'm not saying that that's what's gonna happen because that's a very naive way to think too.
0: (laughs) It seems like, you know, it seems like it would have to is like, there's, I feel like there's no way to like work out, there's no way to do individual healing that isn't also healing something beyond yourself. You know, there isn't like any healing in you that isn't healing your community. Beautiful.
1: That's so cool. I thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, thank you so much. Lozen, um, I just have to say really fast that it's hard to do interviews when I'm speechless. <laughs> And I, like, I'm having that struggle now, and it's the best struggle because the things that you say are so wildly profound, uh, but also empathetic at the same time. We're able to hold so many different perspectives, and I'm just really lucky that you're here, and I think listeners are really lucky to be able to get a piece of you. (laughs) I'm going to switch topics just a little bit as we're kind of getting towards the end. Um... Does the environment play a role in your spirituality?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, and I I grew up spending a lot of time outdoors. As you know, we spent a lot of time, you know, at the river. And my parents spent a ton of time outside and had horses and mules. And that was like a really big part of kind of um, my formative years. Um, and so it, it really does, I think, play a part of of my spirituality and my healing. And I think it does for a lot of people, you know, something I think even just visually, you know, when we want to center ourselves. It's like, if you look outside and if you see these things that are kind of beyond you and and also like on different time scales than you are. Like I always think about like, and this is like kind of weird, but whenever I'm walking through like a forest and you know, when you see like smaller trees that are still growing it's like if you like touch the top of those you'd be like one of the only people because it's gonna like grow out of like our reach and like there's like trees above us who like were with the world before a lot of these like big storm things and like storm events um and so I think kind of that like if you look around in in the world and in nature you see it's like a way of seeing time differently Um, and seeing things that were before you and will be there after you. And I think that that is very calming. Um, And that also comes back to like, you know, if I fail or if we fail and whatever our day-to-day is or whatever we're doing, because I think that the like fear of failure is something that a lot of people like, at least speaking for myself, definitely (laughs) struggle with regularly. Um, But it's like, if I fail, like there's still these things around me that will like continue to be, and like have been before and started to do the thing that i want to do um so i think that that is like just really important to like well-being is just some stillness around us that's
1: beautiful and um i kind of laughed because you were like this is gonna sound silly and it was like the most profound thing i've heard in a long time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the opposite of silly um that's beautiful and i um this is going off topic but there's a great book called the secret life of trees i think um and just trees are so magical and so beautiful you can feel their energy and their energy is so healing
0: they're amazing they're just so incredible um i like continue to be recommended that book so i really have to read it
1: oh that's a sign <laughs> thank you so much for sharing that like amazing thing (laughs) Um, and oh uh, are there people who personally inspired the way that you view the earth yeah definitely um,
0: my family my mom definitely and she she hung out with a bunch of just like really cool sciencey women Um, so like my personal mentors were like very just cool like like women who love to be outside and love to research water Um, and I've recommended already um, All We Can Save, um, Braiding Sweetgrass, which is like amazing. It's by um, Robin Wall Krimmer. I can't remember who, All we, can, All we Can Save is like a collection of short stories. So it's by like a bunch of different people. Vandana yeah. Shiva is amazing. And she has a bunch of um, like videos on YouTube as well as publications. Um, she's a ecofeminist as well as like activist and does a lot of different things. Um, so those people are like you know like more well-known people that I would recommend to anybody um as well as yeah personally you know my community my mom um, the people around me yeah you <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> <just kidding.
1: laughs> um and I'll link to all those people that you mentioned so that people don't have to like scramble and write them down you can just click below um Awesome. Thank you so much. I love that you mentioned your mom. I love your mom. Our <laughs>
0: mom.
1: I love you, mom. <laughs> um, I'll say this really fast. When I think we were like 16, 17, I had an inside joke with Liz and mom that she was my best friend. <laughs> and I think it made Lozen a little bad <laughs> because every time we were around, I'd say, hey, bestie. And her mom would go, hey, bestie. And I'm still really latched on <laughs> to that.
0: next each other. I'll be like on the phone with you. My mom's like, "Hey, bestie," and I'm like, "God, mom, go away." <laughs> oh,
1: that's funny. Okay. Um, I'm gonna ask you the last four questions that I ask everyone. The first one being, "What would you tell your younger self, knowing all that you know today?"
0: Yes. Um, I would tell myself that you don't have to go so far to look for thing like things that have meaning. I think that growing up, like, I definitely, like, I don't know, I was just a weird kid and, like, really thought that, like, there was nothing special kind of at home, um, and so I took a lot of things for granted, like, like, these, these acequias, which were just right there, like, like, so close, like, a block away, um, all the time, and all these people that had so much knowledge about, you know, what the river had been, how it'd been changing, what was changing it, um, and just all the meaning that I kind of have gotten since then through talking with people. So I think that like, it's more about how much you pay attention to where you are and less about like how far you go. And so I wish I were more aware of that as a kid.
2: that's
1: beautiful. Everyone answers that question in a way that gives me chills, Uh, but you're someone special and I may cry, (laughs) Um, but I knew you when you were your younger self, and I think it's it's really cool to share this experience. (laughs) Anyways, um, (laughs) what do you hope to learn from your future self?
0: I hope to just put myself out there more. That's something that I'm really working on, Um, and just go for it, and just be less kind of afraid of always doing and saying the right thing, and like being at the right place at the right time I just want to go for it and like expect to fail and get back up and just like be more resilient and trust my feet a little bit more um you know it's like learn from walking not through like watching other people walk <laughs> so <laughs> I want to just like do that more you know and like do the stumbling myself instead of like fixating So I, I hope that I um fail more going forward because I hope I'm like putting myself out there more. I can't wait to see you fail. <laughs> I'll call you from.
1: Um how do you connect with your higher self?
0: Yeah definitely getting outside um going to the Gila where I'm from um I also think, and I kind of meant to say this earlier, something that I've like had a really great time with connecting to my higher self is looking at symbology and kind of what things mean, like um, what they mean to me and where they appear in my life. For example, this winter I kept seeing coyotes and like seeing what that meant to me and like, that they, and I found a coyote skull too, like a full coyote skull. Um, just outside, which was really cool. It had all of its teeth in it. It was in like perfect condition. Um, and so, you know, they're like symbolic of like being playful, um, but like a little bit mischievous. And so, and I think it, it doesn't have to be like, what is the traditional symbology of this? But like, what does this mm-hmm. animal or mean to me? What are my memories with it? And like, what would it, what does it mean to me? And like, why do I continue to own this thing? Um, and i think even if you don't believe in symbology it's like a, a part it's an opportunity for you to pay attention to the world and like be present and take meaning from something um, so whether or not you believe the me actually there and like the world is giving you a sign you can still use it as as something that like keeps you present and keeps you like looking for something and being curious for like you know what's around me right now and you know, how cognizant am I of it? That is so beautiful.
1: Um, that reminds me of two things. One, um, I was talking to a friend and she was saying, like, if I ask for a sign, like Gabrielle Bernstein will say, like, ask for a butterfly. And if you see a butterfly, it's your sign. Um, and she said, but what if that's not really a sign? And I said, the sign is whether you think it's a sign or not when you see it. Because um, your reaction to thinking it's a sign or thinking it's a sign itself is what is so important. And that shows you kind of what you need to know more than what you're seeing. Um, and then I love that you brought up symbology. Uh, we talked a lot about that with Rebecca Farrar in an episode, maybe that would be like three weeks ago from now, and um, symbology. And we talked in that episode about women who run with the wolves. And that is my absolute favorite book and you were the one who sent me that uh and you were the one who got me started on the importance of symbology so i love that you mentioned it here it feels very full cycle
0: (laughs) yeah i think i think that's such a great point we were like talking about with your friend like also it's like you know why like if if you see yourself looking for you know if i see a butterfly it means this at least gives you some insight into what you're looking for like why do i want to see this what are my expectations here i think it i think it yeah I think it's
1: important um and lastly what does empowered spirituality mean to you
0: yes I think it really means grounding like it really means grounding in self and self as something beyond the individual you know like a a higher self or like a self that's all around or it just means being here with everything um and I personally you know, feel that the most when I'm outside and like with the trees and the, just the world and like being very here with it all. Um, and I think that that also helps as we think of climate as like being very scary. I think there's so much guilt too about like, God, humans did this, um, which mm-hmm. like, yes, <laughs> like anthropogenic climate change is real. Um, but, you know, empowered spirituality in that way is like, yes, and we're here together. Like, I'm here with everybody else. We're all in the same situation um, as, a, as a world. Um, so being cognizant of that and, like, feeling that weight, I think, is important.
2: And
1: that makes you think of resiliency, too. Like, yeah, humans did all this, but look how, like, things are not doing good, but look how look how it's still standing, and look how there are still trees here, even though humans have really put the earth through shit, (laughs) um, and I feel like that resiliency can inspire us to, like, really give back.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point, and I, and I think, like, realizing earth wants to heal, like, trees want to grow back, like, species want to live, like, we all want things to be good, um, so it just is about, like, changing the gears, um,
1: Thank you so much Lozen. I don't think I've ever um, been on the brink of tears so much in an episode (laughs) because of my personal attachment to the guest. No offense if you have been a guest (laughs) I didn't cry for you. (laughs) Um, But seriously it's such an honor to have you on here and to see like the evolution of you as, as who you are and the work that you're doing. Um, and have you explain things that are like honestly really hard to understand. Uh, And aside, I felt this way at your thesis presentation. Uh, It was like confusing, but you're able to present information, like big information in a way that's easy to understand. Um, And then you also gave us such um, compelling reasons why we need to focus on this and work on this. Um, but without overwhelming us. And you also gave us a lot of hope. Uh, and you worked in a spiritual perspective, which I think is so important. And your energy is so grounding. Um, and I feel so lucky to have known this wise woman uh, when you were like a little girl. So I feel really lucky to have you here. And I just think this episode was amazing. Um thank you so much and is there anything else that you'd like to cover that we didn't cover
0: no i just feel yeah i feel like this was a very healing experience and i think that it's been um yeah it's not surprising to me because it just feels like you know the next this is always what our friendship is this is always what my actions with you are um and i'm just so thankful that we have this opportunity
1: Thank you so much. And I'll link everything that you mentioned in the episode so people can uh, I might not link the books because I never know where to link them to like I told you beforehand, Uh, but I'll I'll list them out um, so people will know. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you. As I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs, having an education in health coaching has been transformational. Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes. And by doing so, you'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option. Or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today.